So there are two passages we're going to read now. The first is Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 1 to 5, and that's found on page 724. But if you could also find our second reading, which is Luke, chapter 3, page 1029, and that's what we'll be reading straight after Isaiah. So if we could start with, on page 724, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now if we turn to Luke chapter 3, page 1029, and we're reading verses 1 to 14. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham, The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? 
don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Thanks, Shirley, for reading that. Keep that uh, bit of a look open in front of you. On these Sunday evenings, uh, we're going through these early chapters in Luke's Gospel up to uh, chapter 5, when we'll hear Jesus and begin to call people to follow him. And that, that's why we're thinking over these, uh, these weeks uh, with this kind of title, why we need to follow Jesus. Uh, by the time we get there, uh, our prayer is that um, we'll see more clearly the way Luke uh, lays it out for us, wh- why it is uh, Jesus is the one to follow, to set the course of our lives uh, uh, following uh, behind. So do come along. Do keep coming e- each evening. Um, now, true story. Just before Christmas, I was in town. Uh, I was unlocking my bike. It was a dark evening, and I tuned in. Do you ever do this? I tuned into a conversation that was going on behind me. Because a young woman stopped to ask a guy for directions. I think she was worried she was running late. Uh, and after giving directions, he said to her, You look really nice. Are you out somewhere fun? And I thought, Oi, oi. <laughs> What's he trying? And she said, Oh, oh thank you. I'm, I'm just out to my work's Christmas social. And he said... I mean, this is amazing, isn't it? Because uh, walking through Cambridge, people barely make eye contact with me. And this guy, I mean, he's just very erudite already. He's only about 20. And he said, look, that sounds great. Where, where do you work? And she said, oh, just, just a bar in Cambridge. At which point he said, no, no, I don't believe it. You're far too attractive to be just working in a bar. I thought, my goodness. At this point, at this point, I was really slowing down as I tried to get my bike lock uh, undone so I could keep listening. And there was a slight pause. I mean, I didn't want to just turn around and stare at them, so I just bent over. There's a slight pause that made me think she was smiling. Uh, and then he carried on. He said, someone like you, someone like you must have bigger ambitions than that. Tell me, tell me what it is you really want to do. And I thought, it's not bad, is it? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bad line. And, and she carried on. She said, um, and she said, oh, actually, I love writing. It's funny, it's on the street in Cambridge. I love writing. I'd really like to be a journalist. And he said, yes. Yes, that sounds great. Are you a good writer? Would you like to write about me? And I thought, it's a bit cheeky as well, a little bit cheeky. And the young woman laughed. And then he said, look, I know you're rushing, so I don't want to keep you, but I'd I'd love to talk to you again. I don't suppose, I don't suppose I could take you out for a drink sometime. Is there any chance you'd give me your number and I could give you a call? You want to know what she said, don't you? Maybe I'll tell you later, but... But look, what a start to a conversation, isn't it? What, what an incredible, I mean, it's like, I thought, are people going to start singing at this point? Am I in a, 
And am, am I in a romantic comedy? But what a, a way to start a conversation. And I think, look, here's the crowbar into our passage now. I think, and I think perhaps John could use a little bit of advice because his start, his start is completely different, isn't it? Do you see that? Verse 7. This is how he begins. You brood of vipers. It's more literally, it's kind of sons of snakes. And you, you get the image is you're all poisonous. That's how he starts. And it actually seems even more baffling with the context Luke gives because he introduces John as the promised voice from Isaiah 40. And as we read, do you remember that? Just as surely read it just a few minutes ago. That begins with a promise that God is coming to comfort his people. Speak tenderly to them. And it doesn't feel like John got the comfort memo did he? But that's why we've got to think. And I, I think Luke would say, look, the promise of comfort, in fact, forgiveness that goes along with it, it really is coming. And John is massively concerned about that. But you've got to listen and say, oi, oi, what's he trying here? And it's why Luke begins quoting Isaiah 40, not with the comfort part, but where he does in verse 4, do do you see it? Uh, As he says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. You keep this in mind, look, preparation. Preparation is the key idea here. John's totally convinced God's coming with comfort, but his job as best as possible, is is preparation. And even the way Luke presents that quote from Isaiah, it's in there. Verse 4, just just look at it. If you've got the the passage open in front of you, verse 4, where he says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse 5, Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. Those, Those two ideas, make straight and make low, the the words he uses, they have a kind of moral quality to them, an ethical angle on them. Luke will later say, he'll, he'll later talk about someone whose heart is not straight before the Lord. The same word is used there. He'll also talk about proud people being made low. It's the same word that's used there. And you get the idea, John's saying, look, I'm not against people. But you know how it is. If you want to be taken seriously by a young woman you've met in Cambridge uh, one evening, you need the right attitude. And you need to act in the right kind of way. And a bit like that, if you're going to benefit, if you and I, if we are going to benefit from God's comfort, we need to meet Jesus the right way. You'll have to be prepared with with the right attitude and the right action. And that's what he's talking about. So here's how you meet Jesus. If you've got those little cards, there's some headings uh, on the back, if that's helpful. But here's how you meet Jesus. Here's how you get ready for him. And the, uh, the first big idea, just in verses 7 to 9, is look, we, we need to recognize we're, we're not really the right kind of people. Lots of platforms these days for presenting ourselves, isn't it? You, you know them all. And there's always more coming on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, 
I don't even know the rest of them. TikTok, I've heard. I don't really know how these things work. But you know, there's all sorts of things, isn't there, for presenting yourselves. And uh, you put up a profile for friends, for work. And look, in a sense, it's fine. All we're doing really is sharing a bit about ourselves for a particular reason. But there's a deeper view of who we are uh, that we want to be careful to recognize as well. And you you spot it sometimes. Um, You might know someone. You ever had this happen to you? Someone you know, and they have an angry, impatient outburst. And a moment later, they say, oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what came over me. I, I really am a very patient person, usually. That, that's not who I am, what I'm like. And, and you say to them, oh, no, it's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. But you think to yourself inside, no, you're not. You're not a very patient person at all. And what it is, it's just most of the time, people who know them avoid doing things that annoy them, and so their patience isn't really tested all that much. But you know what they're like. Or, as I think about this for myself, I I mean, I like to think of myself as a fairly balanced, reasonable, easygoing kind of person. It's funny how you think about yourself, isn't it? The trouble is that perception gets interrupted too often. Uh, There's many I could tell you, but one occasion, a couple of years ago, my son, eight years old at the time, came into the kitchen and said, I mean, eight years old, and he said, it's not right you arguing with mummy like this. I mean, it's just pretty devastating. It's pretty devastating when an eight-year-old boy calls you out in the right way. And the game's up. I'm not quite the person I like to tell myself that I am. And I think John would say, hearing that, he would take those moments and he would say, please see them as just a symptom of a bigger problem. Verse 7 you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? And he's saying, look, don't tell yourself, don't tell yourself that, oh, that's not what I'm really like. Recognize it's a symptom of who we really are and understand where it puts you with God. Because one day it won't be a little boy telling you you're not right. It will be God who comes to judge every thought and action. God's wrath, even the very phrase there, isn't it? God's wrath seems, it seems like an old-fashioned concept. We don't really talk about it very much. And yet John did. And Jesus did. And the Bible unashamedly does. And the reason is this. God is good. From start to finish, the the Bible tells us God is good, so must be opposed to everything that is wrong, and not just in attitude. It's not just that he's opposed to things that are wrong in attitude, but in action as well, and a good God must give his verdict, and at some point, if he is good, he must act against things that are wrong, And, and God's wrath is that action. It is his good hostility towards anything and anyone who is morally wrong. And John says, 
He's saying to the people he's speaking to, but I guess through them to us as well, John is saying that wrath is lined up against us. But there's another problem. There's another problem with people that, that John kind of, he, he wants to press home. And it's this, it's that we are sluggish and self-righteous. Just, just have a look at verse 8. If you've got it there in front of you. You see what John says to the crowd? He says to them, look, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So I think John, I, I imagine in many ways for him, it would be his own reflection on himself and his own reflection in knowing other people. He, he'd say, you know what people are like. We, we kind of do this, don't we? We say, well, I know I'm not perfect. I know I need to change. And then we never do anything about it. We're sluggish. Or we'll say, yeah, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not the worst. And there's just a little bit of self-righteousness there where we might not say, I've got Abraham as my father, but we're saying, look, I've inherited Christian values. I really think those kind of things are important. Or my parents brought me up morally, or I'm pretty regular at church. And, and parents do it with their own children, don't they? I feel it in myself. And they say things like, oh, well, now they wouldn't call themselves Christian, but, but he's a very good boy. He's very moral. And we all like to think deep down inside... Deep down inside is a, is a really beautiful, consistently kind person. And we do do kind things. Crazy to say that we don't. And, but it's a battle, isn't it? Selfishness and greed. You hear about someone's holiday and you think to yourself, gosh, they're extravagant, aren't they? the money they're spending on that. But what's really going on is your own envy and greed. Just bubbling up to the surface. Just as you hear something good about someone else. No one likes to be told they're not very good. And I think John would say, look, I don't want to be mean, but I'm not trying to get a date in Cambridge on a Friday night. I'm speaking to people who are spiritually sluggish, self-righteous, and facing God's wrath. And I'm desperate. I'm absolutely desperate to get them ready to meet Jesus properly. So the attitude I'm trying to provoke is recognizing they're not the right kind of people. Or if you want to put it another way, to, to make them humble. To generate an attitude that says, by rights, I'm in the wrong with God. He doesn't owe me anything, but I'm in the red with him. And that attitude, if you, if you begin to get it, this is what John knows, I think, and what probably you've, many of you have realized as well. If, if that attitude begins to get hold in you, it will begin to move us towards a particular action. And looks that's it. That's the second thing, just to think about from verses 10 to 14. We, we need to acknowledge life needs God's radical help. Now, 
do kind of sit and think about this for a moment, because I think this bit's important. Just as I was pondering over this uh, during the week, it, it, it's important to understand look, what John is not seeing and, and what he is. Our culture values activism, and Cambridge is also full of people who are focused on achievement, and there's nothing wrong with those kind of things in, in themselves. It's just that if you were to think reading this, that what John is calling us to is a kind of sort-yourself-out activism, or a kind of you-can-do-better achievement, you'll miss the point of his words in a big way. He is going to speak about certain things we should do. And you'll see, if you're just looking down in verses 10 to 14, you, you see there's, there's different people he speaks to. I mean, there's the crowds, there's everyone. And then he, he highlights, doesn't he, different uh, groups of people. Um, verse 12, even tax collectors came, and he speaks to them. Down in verse 14, then some soldiers asked him. There, there's different groups. He, he's going to speak to them. And he's going to say some specific things. I think they're given these examples. But John is not saying, he's not saying, look, if you get this right, by doing these things, you'll sort yourself out with God. No, there's something more here. And you need to just come back for a moment to see what John's doing. Come back to verse 3. Surely read it for us later. And, and hear again what John is doing. Let me read verse 3 for us. It says, He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that we must hear this. And if you're a Christian have been for some time, we, we must not forget this. John's not saying, look, you need to pull your socks up. Be the moral person you know you can be. What he's saying goes way beyond that. He's saying God's wrath is coming for the way we've lived, selfishly, greedily, ignoring him. And the radical help that we need is not to try harder now. What we need, what we all need, you and me, is something that only God can do. We need his forgiveness. And John would say, look, mercifully, is what he actually promised in the Old Testament. John's preaching is calling for repentance. It kind of technical word. It that means to what well, kind of means to change your mind, to change the direction of your, your living and your thinking. John's John's saying, look, repent, not so you can fix yourself. Not so you can make yourself right with God, but so you've turned around in order to receive the radical help that only God can give to you and me forgiveness. And he's baptizing people. Is that picture of the, the washing God will need to do. He will, he will wash us clean. He will forgive us for the things we've done wrong. He will restore us. And yet the trouble is we are so spiritually sluggish. All we have to do is turn to God and we still don't seem to manage that. And John's saying to them, look, you might get baptized in water. You might listen to the things I say, but the important thing is you genuinely turn to God. 
And if repentance is genuine, John's saying, there should be some evidence. There should be some fruit of it. It will look a certain way. And that's why verse 10, you see the crowd ask, look, what should we do? What should we do? What does repentance look like, John? And you get the idea. Here's what he's spelling out for them. Here's, if you're worried that you've, you've, you've not got this repentance or you're not really turning to God, John's saying, look, here's some of the ways it will begin to look in your life. Here's how it works, I think. If you know, if I know I'm someone who's not in the right with God, if I'm someone who knows life will not be sorted by what I do for myself, but only through what God gives to me. And if I've begun to turn my life in that kind of direction, saying, I've got nothing to bargain with. Life is not about what I do for myself. Real life is not going to be found in me just achieving it all for myself, but only in what God gives to me. If there's genuine repentance, what will it look like? It's interesting, these three groups. I don't know if you noticed, as Shirley read through it. The three groups of people here, John's words all revolve around money in one way or another, material things. And to the crowd, he's kind of saying to them, just look at these words. He's kind of saying to the crowd, look, repentant people don't live as if the way to real life is through you just looking after yourself, keeping everything for yourself. You, you know that's not the way real life works. And so they share. If you've begun to turn your right life around to God, knowing you need his help, you don't live any longer just thinking it's all about what I can keep. You begin to share. To the tax collectors, he says, look, repentant people never live as if the way to real life is getting what you can at the expense of others. That, that would just be crazy, wouldn't it? Because you know that isn't the way to real life. You know you need God's help. You need him to be generous to you. So you're not going to live life just trying to get what you can at the expense of others. No, you'll, there'll be beginning to be an honesty in the way you relate to others. And to the soldiers, with positions of power that they've got, he says, look, repentant people don't live as if the way to real life comes through using your power to get more and more for yourself. No, you begin to be content because you know really what you've got, the things that are of value that you really need will be given as a gift. All those other ways of living, they're selfish and self-focused. They'll be thinking this way, it's down to me, I'll get what I can from myself, but begin to listen to John's message. If you want to meet Jesus properly, well then we need to be humble about our failures and accept we need God's radical help and forgiveness and the evidence we're turning to receive him. One of the ways it will be seen is in the way you start to treat others. So look, we're, we're almost finished here, but just a question to be thinking about this evening and maybe on into this week. Are you repentant? Are you beginning to turn to God? And look, maybe just one of those things to pick up on, how's your sharing going? 
Are you sharing your, your food? Who's invited to your table? And who do you open up your home to? Are you, you sharing in that kind of way, thinking, my stuff's not just for me? Sharing your clothes, that's a bit of a strange thing to do in our culture, isn't it? But you think maybe in a different way, sharing your money that you could spend on your clothes. Are you sharing with other people in that way? What about sharing your talents? You find a way to serve others with the way God's gifted you. And what about sharing your hope? We thought about Christianity Explored and maybe you just think about colleagues in the workplace. Are you beginning to think, how could I share the hope I've got in Jesus with others? Martin Luther, uh, the the reformer back in the 1500s, his 95 thesis that he nailed up on those church doors. Uh, the first one said this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Let's pray that the Lord keeps us turning towards him. Let me pray, and then Rachel will come back and lead us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for uh, these words. John's words catches, and they feel quite hard and harsh. But if we're honest, we know we are sluggish, and we sometimes need to hear it. And please help us with our repentance to turn to you, not to earn your favor. We could never do that. But to turn so that we might receive your grace and your forgiveness through Jesus so that we might follow him in repentant living all our days. Amen.